Hello everyone, welcome to Green.io, the podcast for responsible technologists building a greener digital world, one byte at a time. Our guests from across the globe share insights, tools and alternative approaches enabling people within the tech sector and beyond to boost digital sustainability. And before we start, I would like to thank the hundreds of Green.io listeners who joined the first Green.io conference in Paris last December the 8th. It was great to see so many of you, and the discussions covered a wide range of topics as well as the feedback shared. Get ready for more conferences in 2024 because we will come back to Paris in December, but we will also launch our first Green IO London conference September the 17th and the 18th. And we might have one in Singapore as well if we have enough traction there. Ping me if you're interested to talk or to partner in any of these three conferences. 0.9 gram of CO2 equivalent. It's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. And that was a result I got after playing with a calculator based on the French SRI association methodology for a 10K Prince digital campaign with a 200K image. 0.8 actually with a French energy mix, which is uh, quite low carbon. So n- not a big deal, I guess. Not that simple. Because we're talking about volumes in trillions per day here. Moreover, this past couple of years, several solutions have appeared on the market to tackle greenhouse gas emissions from digital media companies, like Scope 3, the Dimpact Framework, and Impact Plus solution, just to name a few. And the potential savings in CAG emissions they promote are significant. So maybe it's a good idea, after all, to dive a little deeper on the environmental impact of digital marketing. Hence, I decided to bring two experts in ad tech with a soft spot for sustainability to enlighten us. Jarmut Jill is Criteo's CTO since 2019, and he has been in digital advertising for more than 15 years. He even worked at AOL, remember? <laughs> and today at Criteo, Jarmut is in charge of serving more than, I guess it's 5 billion ads per day. So quite a stack stack behind it and some carbon emissions involved, I recall. Audrey Downtony has also a long career in ad tech. She started her first company, Oxeva, during the dot-com boom, (laughs) when she was still a student at engineering school. And two years ago, she pivoted and founded with two partners, Impact Plus, with the aim of reducing greenhouse gas emissions in digital advertising. They already have several global brands as clients, starting with L'Oréal or Heineken. And for the record, Audrey used to live in Reunion Island, where we met, and we had multiple occasions of discussing lifecycle analysis, the subtlety of brand campaign versus a reach campaign, and so much more. So, welcome Audrey and Jarmut. Thanks a lot for joining Greenio today. Thank you. Pleasure to meet uh, Jarmut and, and you, Gael, uh, today. Thank you very much, Gael. Pleasure to be on. Pleasure is mine. So before we deep dive in how to measure, how to reduce uh, what is the momentum in, in our digital marketing, digital industry, how can carbon emission be measured from digital advertising and why does it matter? Maybe Audrey, you want to share some thought on it? Yes, with pleasure. So as any product and service, it's perhaps more convenient to speak about evaluation than measurement, because everything we we evaluate um, about these impacts are based on models. 
and most of them are based on the principle of life cycle assessments uh, methodologies. So when it comes to evaluate the impacts of a digital services, a digital service, sorry, um, the idea is to take in account three tiers. The first one is about the servers which are used to deliver an ad. The second tier is the devices, the end user devices um, used by the end user, the client itself, who will see the ad. And the third tier are the networks which are used to deliver the ad through the servers to the end user. A lot of digital services tend to focus uh, on the only impact of the servers themselves, but it's really important to take in account this uh, end user device uh, because according to a green IT report, uh, more than 40% of these impacts are due to the mining, the manufacturing, the transports of the servers, the routers, but also the end user devices. So that's a very huge part of this. But when it comes to evaluate all these impacts, uh, we take in account not only uh, this life cycle um, part, meaning the um, manufacturing of the devices, but also the carbon emissions due to the electricity used by the servers, networks, and end user devices. So the idea is to evaluate this electricity consumption and combine this with what is named the carbon intensity of electricity. It's how much emissions are due to the production of one kilowatt of electricity. And this can depend on the electricity grid of a single country, uh, meaning uh, that in France it's low because of the part of nuclear plants that are used in, uh, in uh, our country, but in other countries that could be much higher uh, because, for example, uh, in Asia, uh, a big part of the electricity can be produced with coal plants. And what about digital advertising itself? Can you share with us an order of magnitude? How much tons we're talking about? So what you must take in account and what, uh, what you have um, already mentioned is that it's a question of volumes. The global digital ad spend uh, is a market of about $700 billion per year. This represents trillions of ads delivered every day. This also represents something like 70% of the total advertising investment in the world. Digital advertising has been evaluated to as much as 60 million round trip London to New York by plane. And that's the total, the same total emissions of a country like the Ireland. So that's a huge volume of emissions. And just to keep on understanding the landscape, I would say, before deep diving on more concrete uh, solution. Audrey, who are you talking to? And Jamid, same question for you. Actually, maybe Jamid first, because I'm very happy to have a CTO uh, around the table to discuss this. But I had a, a conception, which is maybe a misconception, that this topic was mostly followed by chief marketing officer or um, chief sustainability officer, but that was not that much a tech or product-led uh, topic. So who you folks are talking to when you're discussing this carbon footprint of digital advertising mostly? 
Okay, well, starting from the point of view of Critio, um, from my perspective, so I've been CTO since 2020, and the people who I talk to most about sustainability are actually employees. Uh, we have our ESG groups internally, known as Critio Cares, and one of our communities is the green community. So it's all about reducing the impact of our business on the environment. And really, you know, kind of with some internal kind of colleagues who've been really putting this to the forefront. Secondly would be the leadership in general. So this is something that's very important for a company like ours that, you know, kind of uh, we're seen to be doing the right thing and that we are actually doing the right thing. And so it's part of our global CSR report. We've been reporting on these metrics every year. Um, the last one was April of this year. And so um, showing exactly where we are and giving details on what steps we're taking to improve. Uh, the board of the company as well are something that, you know, kind of they ask quite a lot about this and are very interested in our hosting strategy and what we're doing to reduce the impact. And then externally, more and more, we're starting to see uh, our clients who are asking, you know, as part of um, the RFP process to want to know that we're doing, um, you know, kind of uh, what efforts we're doing on this, as well as our partners, all of our ecosystem supply chain partners and so on. And this is something that I haven't actually measured, but you can see year over year, the number of people who ask us, you know, what we're doing in this area is increasing, both internally and externally. So you're kind of blessed because you've got the, the beautiful alignment of all the planets. Usually when I meet, you know, colleagues, clients, etc., you don't have like this strong alignment from the colleagues to the board, but maybe it's due to the very nature of your activity. And Audrey, for instance, the, the people you interact with, so when we discussed, obviously you, you, you put on the table, uh, you, you did a bit of name dropping, that's a fair game to play talking about L'Oréal or Heineken, but are there representative of your clients in who is investing time and energy to decarbonize digital marketing? So is it mostly pushed by big brands, big corporations, or actually is it another misconception of mine and you've got also medium-sized companies, even small PR agencies? Yeah, I would say that um, it's not a dependence on the size of the company at all. We work uh, as Impact Plus with a lot of different type of companies that could be very small and local ad network or ad tech that would be global companies uh, such, as, such as when the ones you mentioned previously. Actually, um, um, a report, a recent report um, by the IAB Europe um, said that sustainability is one of the top three challenges for digital advertising. And that includes advertisers, agencies, technology providers, ad tech, and so on. So I think that now everyone, every company is concerned about this, basically because of the consumer themselves. Another report uh, mentioned that 77% of people globally say that, then, that in five years, uh, they will only want to be spending uh, money with brands who practice green and sustainable advertising. So that's huge, and that's driven by the consumer itself first. But companies are also under pressures 
from their investors uh, and from regulation? We've seen more and more that many of the companies who invest in companies like Critio, so Critio is a publicly listed company since uh, 10 years, and there are a lot of funds who are now have a kind of a policy that they will only invest in sustainable funds, companies who have a, you know, who meet certain criteria. And it's really important, you know, for us, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of ensuring that we're looking after our shareholders as well, that we make ourselves eligible for those. Well, let's deep dive in one or two concrete case study. So let's imagine that I'm a CMO, a chief marketing officer, and I'm getting really concerned about the greenhouse gas. What can I expect from, let's start maybe with Impact Plus, what can I expect? Why should I ring to your door? And what will be the step-by-step project uh, that I should follow to get the answers I'm looking for? So first, what you can um, put in place is to evaluate a baseline of your uh, total greenhouse gas emissions due to digital advertising. So the idea is to evaluate as much as campaigns that you can um, to know what is your current status about greenhouse gas emissions. And then you can put in place very simple levers to begin very rapidly to reduce these impacts. Basically, you can work on your creatives, perhaps limit the duration of the video that you will uh, transfer and that you will uh, deliver to users. You can work with your creative agencies to optimize the images uh, that would be uh, shown to the users. That's on the creative part. You can decide to deliver more ads on smaller screen to reduce the uh, electricity consumptions due to uh, the uh, delivery of the ad on TVs, for example. And you can begin to test. So A-B test it on your campaigns, verify that these reduction levers have no impact on your media KPI, because as a marketer, that's your main KPI. So efficiency, like uh, the video viewed by the user, the viewability, uh, the click-through rates, the transformation rates, every uh, advertising KPI that you normally uh, have a look at when you deliver it. And then, after having validated that these levers have no impact on your media efficiency, uh, you uh, can put in place a plan to deploy these actions on every single campaign that you deliver. And this process, um, we put this in place with many advertisers. And then now, from the first step that they, de- that they did, starting in France, began to evaluate one or two campaigns. And now they are deploying this reduction lever at scale in more than 20 countries and perhaps in more than 40 countries next year. The idea is to set a baseline, test, learn, and deploy at scale. That would be uh, the steps that I would recommend to any marketer. So that three steps, beautifully explained, uh, create the baseline, test, and then deploy, scale uh, for all your campaigns. Maybe we should unpack uh, the three steps one by one. So. The baseline, how do you calculate the baseline? What are 
both the ingredients, but also the hypothesis. For instance, do you account for embedded carbon? If so, for servers, for digital devices? What are the assumptions regarding energy consumption? Are you only focusing on carbon? Could you, could you tell us a bit more? And do, you, do we have in this area a commonly agreed methodology so far to measure a digital advertising footprint? No, not yet uh, about the methodology. So there is a methodology and standards framework, actually, that has been built by the IAB France and SRI, so meaning Alliance Digital and SRI in France. A few years ago now, I think that the first version has been launched in 2021. And this is currently an evaluation and validation from a lot of other uh, sustainability groups uh, in our industry, meaning IAB Europe, this, the WFA, so the, the organization that represents the global advertisers, are also evaluating and comparing met many methodologies these days. So for the moment, there is no global evaluation framework that has been deployed at scale, but uh, we hope that we this will happen. Our recommendation to marketers and tech is not to wait for this because the first discussions have begun in 2020. It's, made, it's now three years ago to begin to act. We need to act rapidly. And there are some proxy information KPI that could be used to reduce the impacts that could be limit the volume of data which are transferred, could be using the electricity, so using greener electricity that for your servers, that could be plan your campaigns on a different way so that you use greener electricity, actually, depending on uh, the day of the week or the hour in the day. There are multiple stuff that you can do without waiting for a global framework to be adopted at scale. Yeah, it's actually very bewildering, the amount of different ways to measure and the different approaches that you can take. And so my hope would be at some point that some standards body, like the ISO or maybe pushed by the W3C, will be able to come up with a standard that you can actually measure. Because one of the problems is with all of this data, and depending on your perspective, you could see two different measurements which are saying exactly the same thing, but you know, kind of that are almost impossible to compare. And so I think that's something that's really, really important. To Audrey's point, I don't think we should wait. I think we already have enough information within you know kind of each individual company to know what it is we do today so obviously we need to increase the the rigor in which we approach all of this but um and not just to look at single metrics so audrey talked about some of the really important things specifically around ad serving so reducing the payload reducing the complexity reducing um the duration and stuff like that and all of those are good 
but they're somewhat only the tip of the iceberg with respect to what happens in the overall kind of creation of an advertisement. So, you know, in a company like Critio, we collect a lot of data on a daily basis, which we use uh, to make the decisions on which advertisements to send. And so um, we do machine learning. So that obviously requires a lot of processing. Um, and so at each step, it's really important that we as a company are optimizing uh, as much as we can to try and reduce that. Now, that is a double benefit in terms of, um, from uh, my perspective as a CTO, that being efficient reduces costs. Uh, being efficient uh, increases our efficiency or how we serve our clients. And doing all of that actually reduces our carbon footprint. So it's kind of like a win-win. Um, but at each step, taken into account, you mentioned about the carbon footprint of the machines themselves. So the frequency at which we renew our servers is something we have to take into account. And so at some point, to be able to come up with a measurable concrete figure that we can publish, that we can show to our clients. And then at some point, probably through regulation, but you know, kind of maybe it won't even need that, that every company engaged in digital advertisement will actually publish their carbon footprint as a result of this. So, you know, it's not just the advertising industry itself, but all of the companies who advertise online. It would be really great if you went on, you know, kind of some of the big brand um, advertisers that we all know, and we could actually see exactly, you know, how their advertising changes from year after year. And we could see the efforts that they're making through their whole supply chain to reduce their impact. And Jamie, that's super interesting because with you, we can see under the hood. In your own experience, what were the most effective way to achieve efficiency? So uh, one of the things that happens with software development is you develop features organically over time. So, you know, you start with like a simple application and then you extend, you extend, you extend. And it's a little bit like if you built a house and then you kept adding extensions to it. After a period of time, you realize that you've got this kind of crow's nest of the coupling of dependencies and so on. And every once in a while, you need to kind of go back and do some spring cleaning. And so what we found was we had lots of things with redundant code or inefficient code or duplicate code. And so going back and taking the time to refactor, to re-architect, and sometimes to actually redesign um, really generated a lot of benefit. Now, the challenge that we would have and every software development company would have is that you get a, you know, a pressure from the business to continually add new features because new features means you can, you know, provide more value to clients to, you know, get more revenue and so on. Whereas, you know, refactoring the code, very often you're looking at just a cost efficiency. And so it's really kind of making the case. So me as a, uh, CTO, I need to work with my kind of partners in the product organization, in the in our commercial organization, and say I need to keep a certain bandwidth of my team's um, you know kind of available time to be able to work on improving our code. Right, so it's uh, having that constant looking at so that we don't let the code get so bad that you know kind of it becomes inefficient, that it becomes slow, that um, it's generating costs. It also helps with respect to, you know, uh, employee morale. 
people don't like working with old legacy crappy code. So that also helps as well. So we're trying to incentivize good behavior whilst at the same time trying to show to the business the benefits of spending time on this versus just adding feature after feature after feature. So if I'm one of your customers, either Criteo or uh, Impact Plus customer, do you have today, with all the knowledge you've gathered, the ability to tell me, okay, if you want to run uh, 1 million targeted people, uh, you know, campaign, video-based, something like 10 seconds, etc. If you run it that way, you will use that many servers that will emit, that you will consume that much energy and eventually that will emit that much greenhouse gas or and play a bit with a different scenario or is it a bit too much science fiction? So I would say we're not there yet. Uh, and part of it goes back to what Audrey talked about in terms of not having an established framework because, you know, within the ecosystem, clients often will, you know, compare us to, you know, other people in the ad tech space. And so my answer would be, you know, it depends on what you choose to measure. And so if it's purely just related to the serving of the ad, well, then that's how many bits and bytes you're sending over the pipe and the impact that it has on our servers, on their website, on um, the devices, on the end user. But then there's the question of, do you take into account, you know, the embedded carbon uh, of the machine itself? And do you take into account the amount of energy that we you know, kind of use on a daily basis and so on. So I think part of that really depends on going back to where we talked about, which is having like an industry standard so that if they come to a company like Critio and they compare us with the alternative options, that they're able to have a concrete measure where they can see who's doing better than the others and that they can rely on those numbers. About the, the way the ads are delivered uh, from servers to servers, um, a lot of uh, the ads also, not, not the biggest part, because the biggest part of uh, digital advertising is still uh, delivered uh, through social platforms and, and video, video ads uh, on the media part. Um, part of the digital advertising ecosystem um, is built on what is named programmatic advertising, meaning that there are a lot of different players through the supply chain between the publisher who will deliver the ad to the user uh, and the advertiser who is buying the ad. And there are many different technical systems named DSPs or SSPs, ad exchange in this supply chain. Um, and so that's difficult for an advertiser point of view and even on the publisher point of view to know who is involved in this supply chain. It's not fully transparent and it's not at all transparent, actually, for most of uh, of these uh, of these people, the advertiser, the publisher, and so the this non transparency of this supply chain uh, make it very difficult uh, to understand who is involved and how much data is also transferred from the advertiser to the publisher, and this leads to difficulties to evaluate the whole impact of a digital ad. And that's uh, one of the biggest uh, also problems of our industry. But your tool provides dashboards. I mean, I've seen them where you say, okay, this campaign has emitted that much, etc. What, so what are the shortcuts that you have to take in order to provide numbers 
that will be consistent and coherent. So we, let's say, all the evaluation services are based on the same kind of modeling this supply chain, including a number of intermediaries, inter, in, uh, including a number of connections, for example, between the website and the different uh, SSPs or DSPs. And these, has all, these are all based on models. And that's why also I'm pushing to use evaluation uh, instead of measurement. It's because nobody has the full view of this. Every single uh, evaluation tool is relaying on data declared from part of this supply chain, but don't have the full view of that. And so we use this evaluation to show that for a given ad, there should be more intermediaries because we know it, uh, and that's in average. But for a single impression, that's a bit more complicated to know. And for sure, no one from a brand perspective or from the publisher perspective has the full view of this uh, and especially on the number of servers that has been involved, as uh, Yarmid uh, uh, can have on his company-level data, uh, but on the client side and the seller side, we don't have this full transparency of how much resources has been have been used. Do you manage to incorporate somehow the embedded carbon from the professional equipment involved, like server or router, or is it something too blurry? No, yeah, you manage. Yeah, there, there are uh, there are some data uh, that has been uh, uh, published uh, by the ADEM and uh, a consortium named Negaopte, which has been also uh, uh, published uh, by uh, the ADEM, actually. And um, that's a great resource to understand uh, how much embodied emission you can have on the device, the end-user device, the servers and the networks. And what about the very tricky question of end-user devices? Do you take into consideration some estimation of the energy during the use phase? Do you take a chunk of the overall embedded carbon? That, that's almost a philosophical question within the industry, I mean, the, the, the digital industry. We integrate both the embodied emissions and the uh, electricity consumption of the user data. So that's for the evaluation itself, meaning that when we speak to an advertiser or to an attack, we must show everyone that a big part of the emission are still on the embodied emission of the, on the device side. Uh, and this has an importance because, for example, on the ad tech side, you can work on your SDK to lower the amount of resources that would be used uh, on your end-user devices, limiting the number of uh, end-user renewal. So this is important to explain to everyone that a big part of these um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions are due to the embodied emissions. But when it comes to re the reduction, then uh, we focus our clients on reducing the uh, electricity consumption itself, because we think that any le level of optimization that you can put in place actually won't have any real impact on the embodied, on the embodied emission. Meaning that if you decide to target smartphone instead of TV, uh, we, uh, we assume that it has no impact on the renewal on the TV or on the smartphone itself, sorry. So yes, we, we take both, but not in the same use case. And just wrapping up what both of you said, 
if I understood right, the top three things that if I were absolute beginner in the digital marketing area would be pay attention to the size of your content, like video versus image versus text, etc. Not necessarily in the right order. Pay attention to on which device it will be delivered. Make it compatible for smartphone rather than big screen, etc., etc., because of the embedded carbon footprint. And the, the third one would be make sure that when you deliver, wherever it is worldwide, you manage to do some carbon awareness that it's when the grid is, uh, and I'm sorry to use this ugly word because very misleading, but the cleanest possible. I would say, no, I should say the proper word, which is the lowest carbon possible. Are these the three main levers or am I missing some very serious ones as well? I would add a few more around that. So one of the things Audrey mentioned was around um, the number of different um, partners or the number of different players who get involved in the chain. So there's a thing called supply path optimization where you have to remember everyone who gets involved is a commercial company. And so going back to the FinOps point of view, every one of those is somehow taking what's called like the digital tax and they're adding to the cost somewhere. They're taking value out of the system. So the minimum number of loops that and uh, connections that you have um, actually helps increase the efficiency of your spend. So if you come at it from a financial perspective, you're actually um, kind of making the overall end-to-end much more efficient, which will reduce the number of servers, which will reduce the overall impact. That's something that surprised me. I guess you both of you, you're familiar with a study that was published by 55, and um, the the two main uh, leaders are also Shift Project members. And what surprised me is that the number of layers has a huge impact, actually, on the overall carbon footprint and we tend yeah as Audrey you mentioned and I should have remembered it that it was pretty impressive how adding an extra layer it's not exponential but adding an extra layer brings yeah some extra kilos of CO2 uh, each time actually what you mentioned um, at the very beginning of your question are simple levers but that's not something that should be done without testing and also you should always link these levers to the right KPI to be evaluated. And so this is important as a brand or a publisher, that when you deliver an ad, you are aware of what you try to achieve in terms of KPIs, meaning that there are some clients sometimes, some brands sometimes, who are still buying video ads to drive clicks. Um, and so this leads to volume of impressions of videos that are huge and they don't drive any clicks at the end. Um, and this is, this is a total loss of energy. There is also numbers, huge numbers of ads which are still not viewable, meaning that when you buy an ad, this is not viewed by the end user, but this is delivered. And so there are places where they have a, a lot of wastes, actually, uh, and you buy ads that don't achieve your objective. So this is important to use the right KPI to evaluate, not to link greenhouse emission only to one single impression of ad, because you can have ads which are videos, but uh, which are 
actually at a high price. So for the same budget, we will deliver less videos and small uh, ads, which are perhaps less impactful for a single impression. But at the end, you will, uh, for the same budget, you will um, uh, buy uh, 10 times or 100 times more than videos. And so you, you should be also aware of any kind of rebound effect that can happen when you do um, uh, an optimization. And you mentioned, Gal, at the very beginning, saying, yeah, you can target smaller screen. When you target smaller screen, you can also have users which are more connected in 5G, 5G connection, which is actually more electricity intensive than Wi-Fi that you would have used on a bigger screen. And so this is important to evaluate the combinations of device, networks, servers, and also combining this with your campaign KPIs to see which kind of ads, which player, which, which company, which offer would be the more efficient for you um, in a given context. And then with this evaluation, you can select and push more on this given format in this uh, company because that's more efficient for your KPI. Yeah, I really like your approach that you, you should interconnect business KPI and environmental KPI to make sure that you don't go at 90 degree, I would say, <laughs> orthogonal. <laughs> okay, yeah, makes total sense. Um, you, you were mentioning at the very beginning of the episode, IAB effort, SRI effort, that slowly and very slowly but hopefully surely we might reach some kind of agreement uh, among the industry so you were mentioning IAB Europe the French from SRI I know that German they're pretty active on this topic too but I want to ask the, the, the very impolite question what about the Americans because if they don't move and if there is not a standard endorsed by the Americans in digital marketing nothing will happen so could you tell us a bit more about it? So the IAB Tech Lab, which is part of the IAB uh, US, uh, is, has also launched at the beginning of this year, I think, his own sustainability group. So I think, I think that Europe is still in advance uh, than, than the US for the moment on the ad tech part. But um, the WFA, so the global organization representing the advertisers has also uh, launched a group last year i think the wfa garm uh, who is uh, which is currently evaluating the different frameworks that already exist on the market and to see which one uh, they would take in account in their global online plus offline advertising evaluation framework. So that begins to move from the advertiser um, perspective. And if the advertisers are moving, then the world supply chain will move much faster. And Audrey, that's interesting that you mentioned the entire supply chain because I've got kind of 
two more philosophical questions before closing the podcast. And the first one being what I call the, um, and I think I will write something about it in 2024, the digital sustainability curse. You know? And we are cursed because our footprint is super huge, but super dispersed. And so it's diluted across every sector, every company, every household. And eventually, we're always third or fourth in the ranking of top greenhouse gas being emitted. You know, look even at Netflix, okay? And that's the same story for many big tech companies. But look at Netflix. It is believed that at peak time in the US, they consume more than 30% of the entire US internet bandwidth. That's just an an amazing number. And yet, quoting here Emma Stewart uh, on My Climate Journey, the Netflix chief sustainability officer, she basically told everyone that more than 80% of Netflix footprint is emitted by content creation. And the same goes in advertising. You know, you do, you do a shooting and you need to move a team by plane and voila, 80% of your campaign uh, footprint is in the making rather than in the distribution. And until now, we talked mostly about the distribution. And yet, you know, it's still very important. And we know that gathering all these little streams, all these little rivers, um, it will make a big flows at the end of carbon being emitted in the atmosphere. So do you face this opinion or this kind of rational decision from well-intentioned people saying, hey, you know, okay, I got it. I got it about digital marketing and your campaign, uh, our campaign even being a bit dirty, but Let's focus first on content creation, et cetera, et cetera. And what do you answer uh, when you face this kind of, what I would call false arbitrage? Are you cursed? So I, I would say so far, we haven't faced it that much. I think we're at the start of the curve in terms of where awareness is just beginning to rise and people are starting to ask the questions. So for example, the statistic, uh, Gail, that you just raised, I, I was totally unaware of that. You know, I was thinking about the increase in online video um, consumption, but I never thought about the the carbon footprint put into the creation of that content. So in similarly in advertising technology, I think people are only starting to ask the questions. And then when they get the first part, so we talked about the cost of serving an ad, but that's actually much, much more, more behind it than, you know, involving the creation, the production, all of the calculations that go behind. And so as we start digging deeper into this, the subject, then we're going to get asking more and more deeper questions, more um, comprehensive overview of the end to end. And at that point, hopefully we can get as an industry to some more concrete and standard measurements so we can compare like with like. So I would say, we're not there yet. I think we're only starting on that conversation and it'll probably take some time to come up with some kind of standard uh, metric that we can all um, compare. I think that for the attack side, so the seller side, most of the CRSAM team uh, have understood that they need to clean up their own room, uh, meaning that they are not involved in the production side of the advertising. They only receive the creatives that has been done. And so they need to work on their own technology and not to focus too much of what, on what the advertiser himself has done on the production side. 
on the brand side, let's say, this has already been a discussion uh, on the production companies, meaning that the clients are also pushing the production company to reduce their waste, work on their emissions, limit the numbers of flights to uh, build uh, to build the ads and so on. And this has been pushed uh, through many discussions that already have happened in the in the past. So that's already addressed. And these are different people in brands that are involved in producing the creatives and buying the ads. So they are both involved by the CSR team to reduce as much as they can on their own scope, meaning that the media teams, the media buying teams are involved, the creative teams are more involved, and every time they are issuing a RFP, a request for proposal, they include their sustainability um, requirement or at least sustainability information. This is now in the processes and everyone is focusing on his own business. So that's not really a pushback because our clients are more on the media buying side of the things mm. than on the creative part. Yeah, it makes total sense. And that's kind of a good news if everyone is attempting to reduce emissions where they can, you know, literally on the front door rather than trying to put the garbages on someone else's backyard. So that's pretty good news. And I would have... I will, I will just complete yes. Yes. It's not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not everyone. It's not in every company. It still has to be really deployed at scale. But in there some company level decisions that are important. There are also a lot of individual um, choices uh, in each single company. There are people who are making the organization changes change, and that's very important to help these individuals that have actually the power to make a whole multinational company move rapidly. I got it. I got it. Makes total sense. And thanks for the clarification. But that's not every not single everyone. people. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, my last question before we close the podcast might be a bit even more philosophical, but I have to ask it because, to be honest, I know that I will have some comments from listeners about inviting people from the advertising industry which is not as bad as the airplane industry, but let's say that you don't, you know, rank super high in the heart of many, I would say, climate activists, et cetera, et cetera. And on the other end, I cannot not acknowledge all the efforts that you're doing and explaining and, you know, trying to bring regulation, et cetera. So, you know, the philosophy of the podcast is that everyone is welcome to share what they do to make the world a better place when it comes to environmental issues. So this is why... Um, everyone is welcome. Yet my question about the advertising, and it's something actually I'd like to discuss with you, if it's something that you feel a bit when you interact with people is, and if I was a bit provocative, I would call it the solitaire Thompson uh, wake-up call. I don't know if you've seen this TED talk where basically 
Uh, she, she's a former executive from very big communication and PR company, and she delivered these TED talks, basically saying that uh, PR and communication agencies are destroying the planet, and they need to change the ways they see their business in a very aggressive manner, because just adjusting is not enough, and it's really basically stop working with any business that is not sustainable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, does it make sense according to you? And is it some? Is there already some kind of reflection in the uh, in the industry, or at least with the people that you're discussing? Like, I know I, I don't want to work with this ultra fast fashion company because. I really do not see the point of uh, promoting their business, or is it something different with this kind of silos approach that you've dis- described, Audrey? What is, I would say, the mood of the the advertising industry, at least the digital advertising industry, and at least what you can experience on your daily uh, basis? Of course, the elephant in the room are the advertised emission, meaning that the emissions due to the products and the service that are sold um, because of the advertising, let's say. Everyone has to clean up his own room. That's our position at Impact Plus. Every marketer needs to begin to think about what they are doing, what they are selling, and so on. The overconsumption won't stop this year. And we, as individual, uh, as co-founder at Impact Plus, decided to stay in this industry to try to realign our own values with our day-to-day work life and see what we could change into our own industry, meaning that we are not producing these products, we are not producing these services. But we need individual marketing teams to think about first what they do, to empower them to in the future think wider and think how they can change the product and the services that they sell. And then we need to begin with something to speak with the marketer. And the digital advertising is one of the parts which can be changed rapidly, efficiently, and to show that it has no impact on the company results, let's say. And if we can show that, then perhaps we can widen the discussion in the future. Everyone has a responsibility in the industry, um, our partners, the brands, all different types of retailers um, and individuals, you know, in, in how we consume the internet and how we consume our products, what we use, what we don't use. Um, I think digital advertising is something that's incredibly important for the internet as we know it today, right? Your podcast, Gail, is free and it's paid for through subscriptions and through your own hard work. But much of the internet is actually is funded through digital advertising. And so it's really the only large-scale economic model that works because if everything goes subscription-based because, you know, creating content, as you know, it's time-intensive and it costs money. If everything goes subscription-based, then that actually takes a lot of what we appreciate as the internet today out of the reach of so many people. So advertising helps keep so much content open and free and available. 
that's super important. We also help to keep, you know, kind of um, choice for uh, end users in terms of where they buy online. And so um, for many small businesses, you know, advertising is the only way that they can survive against, you know, the large multinational um, corporations. And so trying to find the right way that we can protect the ecosystem, that we can provide value to all participants, I think is super important to do it in a responsible way that, you know, kind of we are conscious of the impact we have in the environment and that we do what we can to measure it first and then to be able to reduce it. Because, you know, whatever number you come up with today is less important than the fact that you're trying to reduce it and you're trying to optimize it and so on. And so looking at all of the participants and working all together to understand how we can all kind of collaborate to, you know, make the world, you know, kind of, a better place and reduce our impact on it. I think that's the secret to kind of progressing the conversation. Fair point. That's interesting to see that, yeah, it's a question of where you start your journey and in which condition you can evolve and push things forward. So thanks a lot to both of you for being honest and transparent about where you stand and where you want actually the industry to go and to move forward. To close the podcast, I would love to finish on an uplifting news. I'd like both of you to share a very positive piece of news <laughs> that you've heard recently and that made you optimistic about our past, about a sustainable future. For me, I don't think there's any one single piece of information that I think is the positive thing. I think it's a collection of things. I'm an optimist by heart. And so... You know, the fact that more and more people are engaged in the conversation and Gail, as I listen to your podcast while I'm running, then it, it's overwhelming the number of people who care about this, you know, who are getting involved and who are looking for different ways to make an impact. And so I take great courage from that. The problem is huge, but there is a lot of people who are concerned on it. Also, I see that there's a lot of innovation in terms of like renewable energy, um, you know, kind of energy storage methods that don't use rare earth metals. Um, lots of different kind of innovations in how we handle water, desalination and so on, trying to do them in an environmentally sustainable way. And so I think technology has a huge part to play in helping turn things around. Um, I'm just you know, kind of very, very hopeful that it can, uh, all of these innovations can arrive before the impact and the harm is too great. I would say that the, the positive news, it's not a, a news, but a trend that we can see, uh, is that there are more and more students uh, going out from huge and important university around the world who really want to work on sustainable products and sustainable services. They really push for a change in mentality and not only in mentality, but in reality. And I think that the good news is that the younger generation now now know and now wants to act rapidly. And that would make everyone change on the same way, I think. And I hope this podcast very modestly will contribute to that. But thanks a lot, both of you. That was great to have you on the show. I must admit that I'm not like 
it's not my comfort zone, I would say, digital advertising. I was more like a CTO having to interact and to get all this barbaric names plugged into my information system rather than someone really doing the hard job of selling stuff. So thanks a lot because I've learned a lot with you today and I'm sure the listeners as well. Um, we might discuss again in the future if uh, these methodologies, these standards eventually arrive. That will be a big move forward. So once again, thanks a lot and have a nice not too hot day. Thank you, Gail. Take care. Thank you, Gail, and uh, well done for having learned uh, a lot about our complex industry in such a short time. Thank you for listening to this Green Eye episode. We will take a short Christmas break, so let's meet again in 2024. Episode 31 will be about the entire use case in an industry, but not a digital industry, real industry, you know, a Swiss behemoth that wanted to measure and reduce the environmental footprint of its entire information system. Very interesting. It's quite different from the software industry and still a lot of knowledge to grasp. Before you leave, a small message from our sponsor. No, I'm kidding. GreenIO is a free and independent podcast and I need your help to keep it that way. As Jama described, I decided not to go for advertising and I will stick to it, but I need a bit of your help for broadcasting and promoting. If you can share the episode on any social media or with friends or relatives, that will be super useful. And I know a lot of you have already done it, but a lot of you didn't because the UX of all the podcast platforms are a mess to do so. But if you could rate the podcast, because you cannot rate a single episode, so you have to go back to the podcast page on Apple Podcasts, Deezer, or Spotify. And if you can give us five stars and a nice review if you're on Apple Podcasts, that will be a massive help to get more extra visibility in the search results. So thanks a lot for your support. It means a lot to us. Us being me, Gael Duez, but also Tani Levitt, our amazing podcast producer, and Gilles Tellier, our amazing podcast curator. And stay tuned by subscribing to Green.io on your favorite podcast platform or via the Green.io newsletter. The link is in the episode notes, but you already know the drill. Every two weeks, you will get more insights and premium content to help you, the responsible technologist, build a greener digital world. One bite at a time. And I will add a personal note for this episode, wishing you all very nice end of your celebrations, whatever belief or your part of the world you belong to. Take care, stay safe, and have some impact one day after the other. <laughs>